Hi and whatever. I mean, sorry. Hi and welcome to our uh, what? What is the state of the world address? <laughs> yes, it is a state of the world address at this point, right? It is. It's. Uh, it's been a slow news week. Not really. Are you joking? Well, <laughs> it depends on what you call the news, like, but um, it's yeah. all news. It's been a quiet week, though. No, has it? Is this a unique time in history when? Uh, yeah, it's been quiet. Yeah. Well, when it's been loud, when it's loud so long. And it's just loudness upon loudness. <clears throat> like you said before we came on air, people start tuning it out. Well, it affects me too. I mean, I just start to go, uh-huh. Yeah. 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 More of the same. Sorry. So what did you say? Oh, yeah, that stuff. Yeah, I know. Yeah, yeah. Well, I'm not going to be able to keep up the intensity of what the news cycle demands. I would go mad. Yeah. So you should not actually literally attempt to do that. Yeah, it's a bad idea. Pay attention so that's to things. That's always our advice. But a broad overview. If you were to actually follow the news cycle as it demands, you go nuts. I think you'd go nuts because if you're if you follow it in depth and try and pick apart every or you know look in depth at each particular news item or area of news or area of what's happening in the world, you'd find very quickly that a lot of it's not true uh, or is distorted in some way. And then, so you follow it through and you dig into it and you find out and, and then, but then who do you tell that to? You know what I mean? Um, and, and you'd go nuts, not go nuts, but you'd get very, you'd get frustrated very quickly because you realize that no matter how much you dig into it and say, look, this is false. This is what, you know, this appears to be what's actually happening. Yeah. Uh, nobody cares. Or, well, some people on social media might care, but certainly you're not going to have any um, impact. You're not going to change it, right? Because the media will just repeat the same thing that you have discovered as false the next day. And mm. they'll just repeat it louder. Yeah. It's very disheartening, you know, in that respect, you know. Well, that's um, why smart people, not necessarily, you know, nerdy bookworms, but smart people will uh, consult history books. Yeah. Uh, for, uh, to be their friend. Mm. To understand mm -hmm. what's going on. Because the first thing that'll hit you when you read something is, okay, the details, I, I can't investigate right now or go mad trying to do every single one in the current news cycle. But when you read something, there's usually a foundational premise mm -hmm. or assumption or two or three maybe mm -hmm. that goes into it. Mm -hmm. And the smart people will go, well, the details I can't verify, that's up to this journalist who wrote this piece or right. this news reporter in the studio who said this. You know, They may be right. Let's assume they are. Right. But something stands out about the assumptions they have. Mm -hmm. And the only way I can check that is to look into history. Right. To go back you know, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, yeah, yeah, to show that it's this has happened before and it didn't, didn't that we've work. been here before it in some form well. or another, it's never exactly the same. Um, that's why, uh, the last couple of weeks I've been reading a great book that's about something very specific, but it, it inevitably, and you go through the journey with the author on this, it inevitably had to open up into far more mm -hmm. things that were going on contemporary with the event and. Yep all the way up to modern times. What book is it? It's, um, it's called Chaos. Mm -hmm. um, the Manson Murders, the CIA, and something, something, something. Long, long title. But mm -hmm. it's specifically about the Manson Murders. And this mm -hmm. guy is a journalist, um, Tom O'Neill. Um, <laughs> he's like, in the, he went down the rabbit hole. He's been 20 years digging it up. It's an example of someone who's just doing it for the love of it, basically, or just enjoys yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Oh, he certainly did. It's part biographical because he kind of relates what was going on with him at the time, you know, mm -hmm. um, and how he absolutely 
at times hated it and then became obsessed by it and tried mm. to leave it. And, but inevitably, you, you have to go back. You have to look around beyond the thing itself. But that informs you about far more than just right. the thing that sets you off down that hole, you know? Yeah. It also, it, most importantly, the point of what I'm saying is now will inform you about today mm -hmm. in massive ways. Like I came away from reading that book getting, uh, I suppose it wasn't brand new insight for me, but it reminded me of the layers of psychosis that have come with each incident or trend as we go decade through decade to mm. today. It's mm -hmm. layers upon layers of psychosis. Mm -hmm. For example, he discovered that 1969, these murders, he had to go back and understand what had been happening, roughly speaking, for 20 years prior. Um, CIA mind control experiments. Now, he began it as like, okay, whatever, that's conspiracy theory. But then when he's like, okay, I've seen enough circumstantial reference to it, I need to find something. If only to satisfy my employer, which was initially a magazine and then later a book publisher. And so he, he went into some archives no one has ever looked at. And he found one of the few things, depending on each circumstance, that were not put in the shredder by the CIA in the 70s when they tried they thought they had ditched all their archives, all their reference material to on MKUltra. MK right. He found stuff that actually had survived in another archive untouched, unseen, until like 10 years ago. Right. So layers of psychosis. I mean, in that story, you can connect many of the kind of zeitgeist moments mm -hmm. of American history, the Manson murders, the birth of the hippie movement, and slash the spread of LSD, mm -hmm. um, the CIA experiments it's with LSD in well the 50s. That part, it's very yeah. well documented. And then you go back to the kind of original zeitgeist of that, which was a geopolitical incident in nature, nothing to do internally with the US until it came home and became a domestic issue. When the returning POWs from the brainwashing thing. Now, from the Vietnam, premise yeah. at the time was there's no way our boys Would, out there right. can be saying these things about us Americans dropping chemical and biological weapons, including viruses, on the Korean population. Mm -hmm. Ergo, when the media began a massive campaign to tell people they've been brainwashed. And this brainwashing was going on in Vietnamese, Vietnamese <coughs> prisoner of war camps. Or, or U.S. Uh, Korean, but oh, yeah. sorry, Korean. It also then recurred in, in, in Vietnam. Vietnam. Yeah, uh, uh, and this was the, the 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 cause of these U.S. soldiers coming back and talking about these things that they shouldn't talk about. And also, um, wasn't there something about there about about communism? About some of them who had uh, taken up some of the prisoner wars, who yes. had taken up the idea of communism, and this was obviously the evidence of, yeah. of brainwashing because there's no way that uh, somebody could be brainwashed into an there American. Was that, there was that, but into. the main issue was shoring up moral defense of right. our position in the world right. by reassuring our um, now aghast domestic population mm -hmm. that we do not do such cruel things right. to other people in war. In war, we're honorable and right. it's always for the right reasons. We're always trying to save people to yeah. bring them into the fold of how we see the world. It was so horrifying that they realized they had a kind of they were going to have to come in the back and shore up that moral belief in the credibility of the United States as world benefactors. By dismissing like U.S. returned U.S. soldiers. Well, what they specifically came up with was these, we don't believe these. We at the CIA and the Pentagon obviously don't believe what they're saying. Or, this is the question. Were they actually 
dropping WMDs on the population. I think it's most likely they were in some respects, because we now know from another historical well, date Agent Orange, right? that they were this close to dropping nuclear weapons on Korea during the Korean War. Um, Agent Orange, and of, and there are other clear examples yeah. in Vietnam. So they came up with this term brainwashing. And it's interesting because the, it wasn't theirs to start with. It was a Chinese communist government term brainwash it's kind of comical because in chinese when you come up with a new term to describe something you take literal things and they make characters from them right. and the one they came up with was brainwash you know yeah. you wash the brain and yeah, <laughs> it was yeah. kind of comical but it's become this very loaded serious so they were term using, with they were using it originally to dismiss uh, allegations by u.s soldiers that this 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 kind yeah. of war crimes basically were going on in, in korea and later in vietnam but then the CIA took the term, you know, so they said these people are brainwashed. They, they were, but then they, I suppose, it carried, it kind of, yeah, so it dismissed, it was, it was, I suppose, had some success in dismissing these allegations of returning U.S. troops, but what, what the U.S. was doing uh, overseas. But then, because but then, they theorized that the troops had been subjected to right. mind-controlled drugs like LSD, right. which that, the CIA had just started using. And that home. then led the CIA to run with that idea yeah. of... So we're going to need to build a whole infrastructure to counter their, what they're doing over there. In fact, we're way behind on the mind-controls arms race. Mm -hmm. So we need to build the infrastructure, get out to the universities, build the laboratories, get test subjects in, some military, some unwitting U.S. civilians, and start to... Let's come up with ways that we know that they're doing over there. And that's where Manchurian Candidate right. came from. Manchurian as in those Chinese commies are already ahead in this program. So we need to rapidly develop our own program right. so that we can get someone who's an unwitting assassin to kill a president before they do it to us. But there was never before oh, mean, they do it to us. It was all born in the paranoid mind. Like we were saying last week, last week gain a function, right? Right. Right. Exactly. You will understand that. When you understand this, yeah, it's, it's, you'll understand Russiagate. Yeah, when you understand this, yeah, because in Russiagate comes out of nowhere in 2016, right? And it's like initially we're amazed at how people are possibly take this up as seriously, but when you understand that there's layers of psychosis, mm -hmm. it was actually familiar, at least subconsciously, to many Americans and other Westerners. Oh yeah, even if they don't connect it in their mind, there's many pretexts for those commie others. Doing such things. Infiltrating our government. Etc. Subverting the minds of, of our mm -hmm. youth to the culture. Right. Um, that's exactly the kind of thing to do. That's why there was fertile cultural grounds for Russiagate to grow out of. Mm -hmm. Politically, it just came out of left field and was like absurd. Yeah. There's no evidence for it. The evidence has since been refuted. But it was, and it was also combined, at least the people who took up the whole Russiagate thing on, uh, as, as regards Trump, it was also combined with... Uh, those people's distaste or hatred of Trump. So they were very willing to believe that Trump would be some kind of a, uh, a Soviet well, agent. the New York Times... Because they hated him, right? Exactly, I mean, anything bad you say about him is, is true because I hate him. Uh, uh, yeah, a, that's a priori, why, I, I don't like the guy, you know? That's why the NYT had no shame in doing a long special feature on Trump, suggesting that he had first been turned as a Russian slash commie agent in 1987 right. during a visit there on business. Right, yeah, yeah. So that, that story, the narrative telling of that is born out of these layers of cultural psychosis that go back in decades. Right. You know? But it's still such an egregious lie. I know. And completely implausible on the face of it. And if you look into it, it becomes even more implausible. And yet so many people believe it. 
I mean, there's still, I mean, I don't know, of course, I'm not going to say it's everybody, but there's a significant percentage of the American population, I think, and the Western population, anybody who, who heard this story, who think now, still think, despite the, the fact that it was exposed as being false, the whole uh, Mueller investigation was, 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 came up with nothing, and uh, the whole, uh, all of the details around that, that, that um, you know, trashing of, of Trump's reputation were all exposed as having been entirely made up. The uh, the dodgy dossier, the, uh, the, the, the what's his name, um, Steele dossier, yeah. all false, right? But yeah. yet, you put that out there, a few years later, go and ask someone, and you have a good chance that they'll say, yeah, wasn't Rus- yeah Trump was, he, he was involved with the Russians, wasn't he? So it's terrible. It's a terrible indictment and a terrible <clears throat> picture that it portrays of the level of human intelligence and awareness about what... and about what's going on and their susceptibility to being... To suggestion. To being, to being Hypnotic fed, yeah. suggestion, in fact. That's exactly yeah. how the media works now because it was born out of the repet- repetition of experiments. Well, certainly, yeah, yeah. Certainly that's what happened with the whole COVID business over the past two, two years. I mean, especially last year uh, in, the, in the first initial months and then certainly since then, uh, it's been this repeated application of a, of a meme or an, of an idea, you know, that people were... It, I think it is very close to... to what actually hap- happens under "quote unquote" mind programming or um, or or hypnosis? Maybe to use a more or less loaded term, hypnosis, where people are, you know, uh, encouraged or subjected to uh, an idea over and over and over again, day after day after day after day. That's I mean, that'll put you into a kind of a, a kind of a hypnotic uh, kind of state, I suppose, at least in relation to that thing, right? Uh, where it become embedded in your brain as 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 or as real you know as as something that you have to focus on or have to be very very concerned about or aware of all the time yeah um, and it forms it forms the <clears throat> yeah it forms the slate from which you, you interpret everything else even right. when you're a covid skeptic even when you're government skeptic even when crikey like that natural news website when its entire premise for 15 years was beware the nwo is coming and it's going to come in the guise of medical tyranny and for the first six freaking months of covid last year the the guy who editorialized that website was like no this is for real this is a real we need to be scared of this is thing. That, that health ranger guy yeah mike adams yeah now he's you know He's finally getting against through. tyranny because it's become so maybe he's woken up i don't know he broke through that or something but um, yeah, it's, it's hard for it's people. It's everywhere. It's like I'm listening to um, Joe Rogan. He had Matt Taibbi on. He's another great, you know, investigative reporter for real who takes long-term projects and sorts out the weeds from the mm-hmm. fact. Mm-hmm. You know, he's, he's, he's diligent like that. Mm-hmm. He's probably overcautious in my book because mm-hmm. he, he's lacking a certain contextual frame of reference maybe on some issues. That's mm-hmm. just my opinion. But um, they begin this particular discussion about Kyle Rittenhouse. Now, he's in there and he's agreeing as more or less more liberal on things, even than Joe Rogan. He's agreeing that, you know, Rittenhouse was nuts. It's the, not him himself. The fact that he was both the trial, the whole trials, and they're commenting on the cultural aspects, the legal aspects around the case. But they both begin that conversation by saying, now, I'm not saying there's no such thing as white supremacy in this country. Mm. You know, and that there isn't really a thing, you know, da, 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 and off they go. But, to, and then he said, but for Biden to call him, and off they go about Kyle Rittenhouse being called such by the media and the then US president candidate, mm. Joe Biden. And Joe Rogan pipes up, yeah, 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 I agree, I agree with him. Mm. Yeah. It's not true. Yeah. 
be an investigative journalist. Look into every single incident where white supremacy is either attributed to an act of domestic terror or some other mass killing, mass shooting. And you find the fingerprints of federal agencies all over them. Mm -hmm. There is no actual organic mm -hmm. white supremacy problem in the United States of America. Here is where the lefties think looking at things through the lens of social constructivism is actually applicable. Mm -hmm. It is a social construct. Yeah, it yeah. has no basis in reality. Yeah. Because the, the idea of social contract, construct exists, it's just that the, the way the left kind of what it ascribes social constructs to or how it defines social constructs is, is completely wrong. They're looking at them in the wrong direction, basically. Um, yeah. If things are constructed for the population, uh, people's reality is constructed for them, but it doesn't come from the people. The problem isn't in the people. What people construct themselves is genuinely a good thing. Uh, any evil that's constructed in this world, if, like you just said, you track it back, it always goes up the line, up to the, up, up, up up. To the government. Now you're going to always find the, the, the dead end, the actual source, the yeah, node, you yeah. know. That was very apparent in Tom O'Neill's research. He left a lot of things like open. They just cannot be. Either the files have been burned or there simply were no connections made. Mm. Part of the main track I just spoke about now, CIA mind control experiments, and the other obviously track, the main track in his book is the Ma Charles Manson. Who was he? Where did he come from? Well, he was looking. He was looking for the Holy Grail because they both coincide in San Francisco. Charlie Manson didn't just join the hippie movement at the end and then take a dump all over it. He was in the center of it in San Francisco. He lived around the corner from, um, what's his name? Lewis Jollyon West. Lewis Jollyon West was now confirmed a CIA contractor. It was also his moonlighting by night and mm -hmm. by day he was a uh, professor of psychiatry at various universities in the United right. States. This guy is now, he's all over the place. He's the one who's working with the Pentagon in the early 50s to come up with this brainwashing notion. Our boys don't really believe this. They just had these false ideas and thoughts implanted in the head. And then he went, well, we can reverse engineer that and do it ourselves. Yeah. Bingo. Then he's experimenting with CIA. Then in 1963, he's, oh, yeah, he pops up. He's the first person to evaluate Jack Ruby and say he's clinically insane, mm -hmm. psychotic, total break. Was, and indeed, something happened. Mm -hmm. He went in to interview him in his prison cell. And the... The guy, Jack Ruby, who had been reason, you know, considered sane by six previous evaluations, mm -hmm. had a psychotic break during his lone interview with right. this West guy. Right. West then is the guy who was a psychiatrist and, to Sirhan Sirhan yeah. in 1968. Right. And on it goes. The guy died a successful uh, – um, he, 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 well, there were always suggestions. But no one ever found anything to incriminate him. Mm. I, was, I always thought it was interesting that Jack Ruby, uh, after he went officially kind of crazy after that interview, after that experience he had with that guy in, in the cell, uh, that his main stick was the Jews. The Jews are out to get us, right? Which obviously you put that in the mouth of, a, of an official crazy person and who is talking like a crazy person. Well, it tends well, to... Well, it tends to the, the, it tends to um, disparage that, that, that allegation. But well, he was making <clears throat> very subtle suggestions mm -hmm. before the psychotic break right, during the interview. That, right. He was intimating at organized crime and mm -hmm. I know people mm -hmm. and someone ought to get me an audience with the president because, yep. you know, the Jewish There's... thing, you know, the, he was making quiet 
sane suggestions, yeah. intimations. But then he went After the, the psychotic break, he uh, West emerged from it and told the media that, yeah, he was telling me that, you know, uh, he was having visions where he saw his brother on the street um, being tortured and emasculated because he was Jewish. Mm. And there's a massive pogrom. It's already happened. Don't you see it? It's everywhere. Three million Jews right now are being run around. They're being terrorized and killed by the so he had a psychotic break and then yeah. he really believed that he yeah. was seeing the holocaust for american jews taking place mm -hmm. but before that before the west interview he was like intimating trying to make hints mm -hmm. to whoever put him up to it yeah yeah to killing oswald it's yeah, it's interesting that all of those things can actually if you look at them deeply people tend to describe they look at the, all the nefarious you know acts and policies or, or programs that particularly intel agencies have uh, carried out or, you know, come up with and carried out over the years, uh, they look at them and say that's evil. Uh, our intel agencies are evil for doing this. But if you look deeper into it, you see that there's, you know, because the narrative then is, well, this can't have been some devilish plot by intel agencies or whoever because there's so many people involved in it. And uh, and this was even a 9-11 thing, right? The whole anti, one of the main tenets of the anti 9-11 conspiracy theory was there's far too many people involved for this yeah. to be a conspiracy. Someone would have talked, right? But the thing is, what you see when you dig into those things, you see that, like we just mentioned, that the narrative behind them amongst the intel types who come up with them are that it's a positive move, that it's something in order to protect the population, uh, defend against the the, uh, the actions of our enemies, basically to get on first, right? The gain of function thing, yeah. right? And, and the gain of function, just for people who don't know, the gain of function references <coughs> is the narrative behind uh, adding, taking viruses in a lab and uh, adding to their effectiveness, i.e. very often making them transmissible to humans, taking viruses that aren't transmissible to humans and making them transmissible to humans. You think that's an evil thing to do. Why, why would you do that? They're trying to kill people. They're trying to spread a virus amongst the population. And, uh, but the narrative behind it is this is a positive thing to the population because if this, if this were to ever happen naturally, we would be caught uh, unawares. So we need to know how it happens uh, by uh, doing it in advance before it happens to us. Now, that simple idea you can find it across the board uh, in all of these uh, things that are otherwise described as evil, nefarious plots of the intelligence you take, yeah. right? Or government or whoever. Like the FBI terror plots, right? Uh, we've talked about previously. There's like pretty much all the terror plots over the past 20 years, almost, uh, that have occurred particularly in the US, but also in other countries, uh, particularly Western countries. But in the US, the term FBI terror plot is, is now a thing, a term, it has been a term for quite a while because pretty much all of them that you heard about all the times that the FBI uncovered a domestic terror plot, they were all created almost entirely by the, by the FBI themselves. Now, you'd say, well, that's an evil thing to do. They're trying to create terrorism. They're trying to pretend there's a terror threat to scare the population. That's one way to look at it. But from the point of view of the member, people in the FBI who are, who are carrying out these these policies or these uh, operations, it's in order to prevent it from happening. So they look at some guy or group of guys on the internet who say, yeah, wouldn't it be good to like blow up America? I hate America. Boom. Those guys are potential terrorists. Give them a few years, they will be blowing up America. So what do we do? Well, we take them through the process under our control. We get them into a compromising position. We arrest them. They go to jail for 25 years or taken out of the game. America's safe. But that's not where the story ends, obviously, because there is the effect of uh, disseminating the idea amongst the population that 
there is a real terror threat right now. When that's not the premise of those operations by the FBI and the CIA, etc. The premise is that this is something that could happen possibly in the future, way down the line. But we're not willing to take that risk, so we're going to nip it in the bud right now by uh, taking it. It's weird. You could, obviously, they, can't, they have to do due process. They can't just take people that they suspect in 10 years would be terrorists and put them in jail on the basis of a thought crime, right? So they have to make them speed up the, the process that they believe these people might actually engage in into a very short time frame over a few months. You get them to yeah. blah, 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 put themselves... Pre- pre-crime. Yeah. So like minority report. So that's how you get a lot of people involved in it, is, is the reason I'm saying all this, is that's how you get a lot of people in any big organization like that or across different organizations in the case of 9-11 involved in something like that because you have a plausible narrative that sounds like it's actually... Uh, government agencies doing a responsible job. But look at the effects of it. What are the effects ultimately down the line? I mean... Well, COVID is an effect. Well, look at the effects, yeah. people's response They're to protecting it. us to death, right? Yeah. With COVID. Um, I, I wonder if... Like, a lot of this stuff takes place in the realm of unconscious. Now, this... We should be careful not to ascribe superpowers to the mind control architect wannabes. I mean, Jolyon West was one man and there were maybe six others as prominent as him working across the United States. And they could do a lot of damage in their four or five decades um, with access to prisoners, POWs, unwitting members of the public. But they're not going to have the kind of mass effect. They're kind of like, I see it more like they're taking advantage of something else that's taking place, quote unquote, naturally, you know. Um, so similarly with COVID, I, you, you, we will not find any smoking guns that link FBI terror plot architects or the, whoever wrote the policy on that, probably never written down, but, you know, spoken about in smoky rooms, we'll never find the evidence that find, links them directly with, okay, well, let's just apply this to the new normal. Yeah. But the two must go together. They happen sequentially. And if you think of it in the frame that I gave before of layers of psychosis, mm-hmm. people's response to this totally benign virus, relatively speaking, out of proportion with all reality to the threat it poses. Because of the way it was presented to them. The way it was presented to them, but I don't think that's enough. I think it took what came before, right. the terror. And it wasn't, wasn't, and here's the issue, was it the fear of the other, the Muslim or the darkie or whatever? Or was it subconsciously? By the time 20 years of the war on terror was up, a kind of a, a general knowing but not quite knowing, you know what I mean, semi-unconscious realization that actually the source of the terror is Big Brother. Mm-hmm. Okay, now he wants us to social distance two meters. Now he wants us to mask our children. Well, I've seen what Big Brother's capable of. Fuck, I'm not going to yeah, yeah. cross this yeah, motherfucker. He's a beast. It's an, it's an inter- interesting question, that, uh, and it's, obviously it's hard to generalize across the entire population. You can't really do that, right? But to the extent that you can generalize or make general statements, it, it's an interesting question um, whether or not people have that almost subconscious understanding or the, it, it's been intimated to them or they've gathered uh, a kind of a vague perception that the government is actually um, kind of dangerous yeah. to them, that it's not just all about benevolence. Because you can obviously uh, get a 
get a lot of response from people. You can get a lot of response from people by you know appealing to their sense of uh, community like they have with the cold COVID thing. Do it to protect others. Protect yourself, obviously. This is dangerous. The government is trying to help you. Listen to what the government says. It's trying to, trying to protect your health and protect your lives and the lives of the people you love. You can get people to do a lot from, with, with that. But in the past couple of years, that has definitely segued into there's been a lot of threats implied as well. And people are aware that government is not just a caring uh, institution, but a threatening institution. So government are afraid, or sorry, people are afraid of their government as much as they uh, like to think that they they care for them. So with those two things together, it's really powerful in terms of uh, uh, provoking compliance from the population, you know. Um, ultimately, people are scared. Uh, a lot of people behind, let's say, subconsciously. Consciously, you know, it's the government is doing it to uh, in our best interest, so we should obviously act in our best interest as well. But behind the scenes is if you don't, even if there's some question about whether or not the government is actually doing this, uh, in our best interests, I might have some niggling doubts about that, but I'm not going to act on those because I know that if I act against the government in however small a way, I could be in danger yeah. from the government. Just as you could, just as, you know, four decades at most, the 80s, consistent polling of Americans, left, right, young, old, didn't matter, found about three quarters believed a conspiracy had assassinated JFK. Right. With the distance of time and in a calm environment, detached from the terror of the moment, they could go, well, yeah, probably. I would, I would wait probably. Just as with that, in the, with the passage of time in three, four decades, people, will be able people to admit. when asked about COVID will go, well, yeah, obviously, yeah, yeah, the yeah. I knew. Well, whether you knew or not, you didn't act on it. Yeah, yeah. Because in the your moment conscious you're in mind was, con was constantly being barred at the time to repress it, repress right. it. You, you, you want to think that? Are you sure you want to think that? Because I'll smack you across the face or harm your children if you really want to think that. Okay, I'll take well, your children I'll, away I'll from you. That. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, but it's and it, it's like I've said before um, that all of those conspiracy theories, I think what people, and I've said this, I think people intuit. And the reason, one of the reasons I think a lot of people dismiss conspiracy theories out of hand is because all conspiracies, all conspiracy theories have uh, underpinning them the idea that there's a nefarious power in government, extremely above government sometimes, or beyond government to some extent, or whatever, but it's within government, within what they perceive as the, the, the pinnacle of the pyramid of, of, of power in the world, that there's, a, that there's a, a nefarious element in it. That's what conspiracy theories imply, that they're out to do something against the population or not in the population's best interest. Now, built into that idea is the understanding that you can do nothing about it. Yeah. Because you're implying something so powerful that's so beyond your 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 ability to to, to do anything about uh, that you just better not uh, not even think about it. Why think about something you can't do anything about? Why think about trying to do something uh, to, to change something or to, to correct something that carries with the idea that this is impossible for you to correct? You know? And not only that, but it's dangerous for you to correct. People don't want to think or talk about conspiracy theories. And I know there's a lot of crazy conspiracy theories out there that go too far. But even the more sober ones that have evidence to back them up, people will dismiss those just as easily as the crazier ones because of that. Because it's just like, don't ask me to think about and consider and really take uh, yeah. seriously uh, uh, an idea that posits, uh, that, that, that presents a, a scenario where I as a member of the population, I'm um, under threat from my government 
when it's clear that I can't do anything about that. I don't even want to think about that. Do you know what I mean? We used this analogy before of kids, why kids don't, will put up with all sorts of abuse from their parents because p- kids can't do anything about it. The only thing a kid who becomes aware that his parents are abusive towards him, the only rational thing to do, the same thing to do, <clears throat> is for him to leave the house, leave his parents. But he can't do it. Can't get a job, can't drive a car, can't feed himself. It's life or death. So it's better to be um, in an abusive relationship, uh, children to child to parents, and survive than run the risk of dying by yeah. breaking that uh, breaking that relationship. Yeah. And some people just simply aren't capable of doing it. You know, it's not that they're afraid of dying or something like that, but they're simply not capable of making a lot of navigating in the world on their own, on their, on yeah. their own steam or with, yeah. with, even with a group of other people, you know. It's a terrible shame because <clears throat> you're not even actually asking them to leave their parents. No. It, that would be, in fact, to literally break from the government would be dangerous because well, what are you talking about going off grid and refusing to pay taxes? That's not what you want to do. Well, that's physical. It's only to challenge mental, but they can't your, even do your the inner thing. world to maintain a, a safe space in here. Well, to recognize the here. truth of it, yeah. Yeah. But even that is emotionally threatening and disturbing to most people because there's a sense of inner comfort and inner peace in the idea that there's a power structure in this world that I give my power up to in order that they uh, should look after me or, or look after my, my interests. Now, to twist that around and say, actually, they're not. You're giving up your power to someone who's actually acting in your against your best interests. It's like yeah. the whole premise there, the whole social contract is that I'm po- I'm powerless I can't navigate in the world on my own. I need a power, powerful people to, to take care of the big decisions, the scary stuff, deal with all the complex stuff in the world for me, and I give my power up in exchange for them to do, doing that. But it has to be, it can never be broken in that way, it's in, in, the, in the minds of the people. Mm. Because what do you do? Well, that inner peace is illusory because what's actually happening is they're becoming mildly, at least, in some cases, very much psychotic. Because it's not really peaceful. It's constantly enervating them. It's constantly terrorizing them. It's constantly well, upsetting them. Well, a kind of psychosis will be, will be provoked by people believing a lie over and over again, broad-scale lies, lies that uh, directly impact their, the minutiae of, the, of, their, of, their, of their daily lives. Uh, believing lies like that uh, coming from the government, but looking outside and seeing that those lies don't actually map to reality. You know what I mean? When you, when you start to create a kind of split or a kind of like a um, some kind of mental disturbance when people uh, are, are, you know, taking on board or believing information to be true when what their eyes tell them is not true. How do you, you can't navigate in, those, in, in that way with, with two completely contrasting or conflicting ideas. You know, uh, both what people see and what actually is should be in line with each other. You know, yeah. uh, what they believe and what what is what what they see should should, should coalesce more or less. Uh, but that's not what's happening, right? People are being told over and over again that um, that they're under threat from a deadly virus and that people around them are dying all the time and they're going to kill people and all this kind of stuff. And then they go outside and they go to parties. And not only that, but recently they see in the UK they see the government, Boris Johnson and his friends, last November. Uh, last December during Christmas when the UK population was, all of them were told and most of them were doing it to stay away from the family members, not have Christmas parties, not see each other over the actual Christmas period 
uh, because they would kill people, basically. They would run the risk of killing people. And it's just coming out now, one year later, yeah. that Boris Johnson and all his friends were all having parties, you know, snuggling up each other, uh, playing Naked Twister or something. I don't know. They were doing all sorts of things that <laughs> was completely... Today, completely another, it's, a, it's sort of a drip, drip of leaks. There was one today where it's a screen grab from someone's webcam mm. that was on on their laptop at the table... Um, at the end, one end of the table, you see Boris Johnson. He's apparently um, uh, the quiz master mm-hmm. for a fun Christmas quiz. Mm-hmm. In the background, in the corner, there's a security camera. They put a black bin liner bag over the security camera. Over the security camera, but someone still recorded. Well, who knows? Maybe no one in the room wittingly recorded. But you know how it is with webcams right. and laptops; they can be turned on, and the files extracted or whatever. Well, you can imagine that people in those positions would be. Some of them would be even partaking and it would be uh, recording those kind of what are clearly what they knew at the time to be dodgy illicit yeah. activities for useful I, for maybe for future but put, not that they would be released to the public but that pressure could be put on on some of your uh, your work colleagues let's say in government to to get what you want but uh, but in terms well, of population what do you that, think of that the... tension between those two things like people have been told and were told last christmas been told all this year and all of last year about you know, deadly virus, you're going to die, stay away from each other, don't see your granny, you're going to kill your granny, don't see your grandkids, everything. Um, and then they see the government doing exactly the opposite. So what do, you, what do they conclude? Well, what's, the, what's true? That the government's not afraid of this virus. Right. But should they be then? That's but what that they, tension... That's is, what is they're like, being invited to question. So the evidence from government, from, the, from this information, shows them the only rational conclusion is, is that the people making the policies saying that this is a deadly virus clearly don't believe that. Therefore, what they say, rational deduction is what they say is false. And therefore, I should not follow their, 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 their dictates. Yeah. But then people go out and continue to follow the dictates. Yeah. So there's a complete, there's a tension and a, a, a division there between what they know on the one hand to be true and what they're actually doing. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that causes mental disturbance. Yeah. What do you think of the fact that this was broadcast all over British media in the last week? I mean, yeah. everyone knows about it. It wasn't something that was quietly put away. No. It's been going on several yeah, days yeah. now. Yeah, yeah, Well, one theory being... What's the scariest proposition is that not, nothing, nothing, will happen, nothing will happen as a result. Not even that people won't be prosecuted, but that nothing, will, the whole thing won't be exposed in the way that we've just exposed it, or people won't draw the logical conclusion that the whole thing has been a scam. And this is what we're saying, like you're saying, it's, a, it's kind of like a mind programming situation that has happened and you can't really undo that. How do you undo mind programming? Uh, has anybody ever researched how you undo? I'm sure they have techniques to undo mind programming, but I think it's pretty difficult and it's going to have an enduring effect. The problem is that people are way down the line and having discussions yeah. about something that is based on a faulty premise. And our premise has been always, in, even though we haven't been very explicit about it necessarily all the time, but our premise that we stick to all along is that this, from the very beginning, was not a pandemic. That, it, that there was a, a new virus that was created in a lab for, yeah, kind of gain of function nefarious reasons and may have been deliberately released in order to achieve what they've achieved. But anyway, uh, from the very beginning, the results or the effect of that virus were not that different from a bad flu. And all of the measures that have been put in place since then have simply exacerbated it and allowed it to continue and prevented it from becoming endemic in the population like any other coronavirus did when it first came on the scene or any other flu virus did when it first came on the scene. Everything, all the lockdowns from March last year until today, everything has delayed the process of that virus becoming endemic 
in the population. And a big part of that delaying of, the, of becoming endemic has been vaccinating people. Um, because vaccines are not needed for the vast majority of the population for a virus that has a very, very low risk to all of them. And the best way for it to become a nothing burger, become just take its place amongst the the the... the the roll call of all similar other similar virus, respiratory viruses is to allow it to spread through the population like they've done with all previous coronaviruses, all previous flu viruses. But they prevented that, stopped that from happening. Uh, and it's happening, it may be happening with this Omicron thing, but the crazy part of it is that even with the Omicron thing, signaling that that endemic kind of... Uh, uh, the, the endemic nature now of this virus i.e. you can forget about it, the, the, the crisis, whatever, you know, the phony crisis even is yeah. over, you can put it away. They're using that to pretend that it's 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 a continued health health risk and you can't yeah, continue th- the policies. That, that uh, <clears throat> this variant alone may require a, a triple well, triple jab this year. Yeah, well, well the triple when, jab was... In fact, the evidence so far is that it's a milder variant. It's, it's acting course. naturally. It's becoming more mild as yeah. the variant Well, the triple, the, the triple... The third dose was already before Omicron appeared in the scene. The third dose was because Delta, yes. because the, the two-shot vaccines were waning after four or five months, and uh, you needed <coughs> a booster, right? Called a booster. That was there already. They're talking about a fourth one for, for Omicron. But if you throw up the picture, just an example of the kind of way they changed the narrative, that uh, Omicron picture I just sent you, uh, Scotty. Um, yeah, this is, well, this is a one week apart from the beginning Right. So no deaths, but the point on the right and is still no deaths. could be still no deaths till to this day, but Omicron could cause seventy five thousand deaths in England by the end of April. Say scientists. Say the says the science. Um, so that's just an example of, and I don't know how long it's going to take the people who still believe this kind of stuff to figure out that it's bullshit, that they're using it to try and prolong it in order to maintain the control because governments enjoy control over the population. It's the raison d'etre. It's why government exists. If government didn't have the job of controlling the population in a kind of crisis, dealing with all their problems, it wouldn't have a job. It wouldn't have a role, right? Or it would have a very fringe or peripheral role. And they don't like that. They don't like, like, like to be pushed to the side. They like to be front and centre, uh, you know, the, the, the V for Vendetta. Well, I want everybody to know why they need us, you know? Uh, that's what this is about. Yeah. Worse, arguably, given some of the psychology of people who populate government these days, they will be forced. They will be forced to return to a role of responsibility for real towards for, the population for making people's lives better. Yes, rather than. But of course, pe- what they have done over the past two years is make pe- lives people's lives worse. I mean, nobody can argue that government policies over the past two years have definitely made pretty much everyone, with a few exceptions. Uh, lives worse, right? But the reason, the, the 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 narrative is that this was for a greater good. Um, was it for a greater good? That's where you have to dig into it at all, like we do every week and that kind of stuff. And we've come up with a, a, a an analysis of the situation as other people have, which maps to reality and continues to map re- map to reality and is continued uh, conti- as as time progresses, more and more evidence comes in to support the narrative yeah. we have had from the very beginning. The horror of it for me at the moment is seeing the the pointed end of the stick, the actual physical enforcement on the street, 
increase and increase in ever more totalitarian-like ways, irrespective of you can have a reasonably, on most most of the time, a reasonably somber politician mm-hmm. or government spokesperson or media journalist, whatever, say something tame. In fact, say something mediating, something that mitigates what ought to mitigate if indeed the message the listener was hearing. See, this is the thing. I don't think people are, it isn't the words that are said to them, mm-hmm. although reinforcing it with ter- terrifying headlines does help. Think back all the times we heard Chris Whitty in the UK, mm-hmm. for example, give reminders when he was giving the latest daily stats all through 2020. I'd just like to remind everyone that this is, you know, relatively benign. It only affects a tiny percentage of the population. who Even the people who are at highest risk for, from it, it, uh, the it, over 80s, the vast majority of them will also survive. That over and over there. he said it. But apparently... But, but some, that... That <clears throat> messaging, the actual narrative level that people hear is disconnected from the actions many people, right. I don't know if it's most, but it's many people are continue to act out, which is ever more extreme. Yeah. Um, let's look at what's happening in Germany. I've just sent you something, Scotty, something I found on Twitter. Um, German police are now out in the streets during Christmas markets and other events using two-meter-long sticks to enforce social distancing. <laughs> 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 that's, that's, that's the extent of the video. Another example from Germany. I don't know if we want to play this. I'll give you uh, a summary of what it was. It's a claim that I couldn't verify mm-hmm. from a British journalist who says he's, he's, a, he's their reporter in Germany. So I presume he speaks German. He says that Die Welt, which is kind of like Germany's Guardian, mm-hmm. he says, um, has anecdotal stories that school children in Germany at this time, in some schools, daily have to go up. Uh, at the head of class or assembly before classes start mm-hmm. to report their vaccination status, subjecting those who are not yet vaccinated, school children, to, if not abuse yet, certainly to... Yeah, discrimination. encouraging them to be picked out, picked yeah. on by their classmates. Do you want to play that? Yeah. Um, so it's only him telling the story. We don't have video evidence of this confirmation that the German media actually reported this. But uh, I don't think he'd make it up. He says he read it in Die Welt, which is one of the biggest papers in Germany. Mm-hmm. Just have to go north of Austria, which is obviously Germany. Well, I mean, yeah, there's some pretty scary stories. I mean, uh, uh, just have to go north of Austria, which is obviously Germany. And there are three stories, I think, that tell a really good story. Uh, the first one was reported in Die Welt, which is the equivalent of uh, The Guardian uh, in Germany. And it's essentially about the ritual humiliation of children who are asked to go to the front of the class and state their vaccination status daily. Those who are vaccinated are applauded. Those who are not have to uh, explain why they're not. So that's the one story, I think, that really kind of uh, should 
raise an alarm bell for people who are for the mandate. Uh, the other one is the discussion of wristbands for people to go shopping. And those people who don't have the wristbands won't be able to go shopping uh, in, across a multitude of stores. Uh, the third one, which I think is possibly more reminiscent of 1930s Germany, is, uh, was an attack on coffee shops who were giving out coffees for free for, um, for people who were either vaxxed or unvaxxed. And that was in Berlin, and it was reported uh, in the Tagesspiegel. And in fact, the, the, uh, the campaign against that, uh, the, these various coffee shops was launched by the Tagesspiegel itself. So it's, it's as if it doesn't matter anymore what is actually said by someone as plain and generally, you know, middle of the, ground, middle of the road as Angela mm -hmm. Merkel, although she's left now. It doesn't matter if you have a um, moderating voices. Mm -hmm. You know, let's not go too far, children, and stuff like that. This thing has its own inertia now. It's going, people, it's almost like people, the programming is taken. And they're going to see this out to the end. They want to see this out to the end. You yeah. know, we've looked at the camps in Australia in the last couple of weeks. There's another example of how far it has already gone. Yeah. Um, is it surprising that it's happening in Germany? Right. Well, they, that's, that's where you bring in, you have to bring in I other mean, stuff. Are you justified in doing that? If, if, one, if Germany, for example, appears to be going further than any other country in I don't think it's really. Well... It's up there in the top three, let's say, okay. of going. Uh, it, it, surely it should be the last on the list, you know, given its, its history. It should be <laughs> the wariest of, of, of these kind of measures of segregating people based on their medical uh, history. Their or medical their, purity. Or their, or their medi medical, yeah, their purity, effectively. Um, just throw up that one I just sent you, Scott. It's from Austria, which is, again, you know, kind of like Germany. Uh, uh, going a bit... Uh, Crazy, this is a guy reporting Today, on... an Austrian newspaper published the rules the government wants to introduce on the 1st of January already here in Austria. Those rules say that if you're not vaccinated, you can get fined up to 2,000 euros each time you're caught unvaccinated. This can mean, and this is explicitly um, being said so, that you can also get fined more than once a day or three times, four times, five times, if you're unvaccinated. If you refuse to pay this, the government wants to put us into a, an, a separate prison, which, is which has to be created for unvaccinated people <coughs> up to one year. So if you're not vaccinated, you can face prison time up to one year. That's the reason I need <coughs> your support. We as Austrians, we all need your support. Please go to your government officials, to your local uh, Austrian embassies, or ask your embassies in Austria to apply as much pressure as possible as at, uh, at the Austrian government, on the Austrian government. Just for you as an information, our new chancellor, as you know, our chancellors changed quickly in the last weeks. Our new chancellor, Karl Nehammer, is the former head of police. He was the one installing police. So maybe I measures. should take back what I said. I mean, even if they sound like moderate influences at political level when they're speaking directly to the camera, in the background, the legal architecture, dubious that is, is as well, because it completely violates all kinds of constitutional issues it's in specific countries and across whole regions, is being 
implemented. It is actually being put on paper. Yeah. So they, but again, they are consciously doing this. Yeah, but they've they've been quite explicit when they when they when they pass these laws or advisory policies or whatever about vaccination. They've been quite explicit. At least a few of them have been explicit, and we can assume that the rest of them are doing it for the same reason. That the reason they're doing it is in order to get people to get vaccinated. Yeah. So, which brings up the question of whether or not they will actually... They will actually it. act on it. Yeah, well, they'll follow through with it. Maybe they won't, but then the question is, why are they so convinced? Why are they so adamant that everybody has to get vaccinated? You know? Um, again, you get back to the whole analysis of, of what this whole pandemic, so-called pandemic, has been about and the evidence that... Um, the evidence that vaccination delays uh, the normal, yeah. much more effective process of the virus, the like trajectory this, of, a yeah, of, of it becoming endemic in the population and just being like a, a flu or a cold. I mean, there's a lot of evidence. And this is, again, it's bizarre to see that the science, the quote-unquote, quote-unquote, the science uh, doesn't, you know, is being distorted, sidelined. I mean, yeah, at that point, you'd have to get into whether or not the extent to which science is corrupted you know the corruption of science through the whole peer review process and who gets peer reviewed and what papers what uh, studies or uh, scientific research actually gets published and then taken up by the media and you know all of it seems to be the ones that really the the the, the lion's share of the of the research seems to be that at least it gets uh, that gets published uh, and certainly peer reviewed is the one that supports the narrative that all of these variants and the SARS-CoV-2 virus itself are deadly and really the worst thing since the Spanish flu and stuff. But there's lots of problems with those narratives and there's certainly conflicting uh, or competing narratives from researchers and from, quote-unquote, the science that that's an incorrect way of looking at it. I mean... I found uh, a video of what Fauci said about rolling out vaccines in March 2020. Yeah, well, yeah. He says absolutely no way. Do, There's do no way we're going to do that. We're not going to roll out vaccines during a pandemic. It could be worse. Right. He also, yeah, there's also a, yeah, stick it up there just for, for fundies. So what happens there? Does he forget the science? Do you Does have the it? science change? I've just sent it, yeah, to Scott. Maybe we, um, it's just a quick comment within a news report. So. more than 400 new cases. If this rate March of 2020 continues, in six days we will be where New York is today. Health officials have warned the virus may come in seasonal cycles, but last night, Dr. Anthony Fauci said rushing to release a vaccine could do more harm than good. So the worst possible thing you could do is vaccinate somebody to prevent infection and actually make them worse. Bingo! President Trump said Stop about there. Yeah. Uh, he said that more than once, actually. Um, uh, he's, he's actually been. It's funny how, how he can come up with that stuff. Of course, he's got a narrative behind it, and he would, if you if you challenge him on it now, he would he would have some uh, explanation for it. But this is this is actually a guy uh, who just took the video. He was, he was first he was talking to Mark Zuckerberg or talking to people at Facebook or Mark Zuckerberg. He was, he was had a hot link directly to them, you know, telling them about this kind of stuff. And again, this kind of stuff, as this guy, this commentator on, on this video actually says, uh, he's not aware, he's not, this hasn't been promoted to the population very much, you know what I mean? It hasn't been, uh, they haven't been, uh, it hasn't been made clear to them and, and repeatedly pushed on them of, for obvious reasons because it kind of undermines the idea of vaccinating the entire population. But if you just stick it up there, uh, this is a kind of sim- he's saying there's another thing. element to safety 
And that is if you vaccinate someone and they make an antibody response and then they get exposed and infected, does the response that you induce actually enhance the infection and make it worse? And the only way you'll know that is if you do an extended study, not in a normal volunteer who has no risk of infection, but in people who are out there in a risk situation. Mm -hmm. This would not be the first time if it happened that a vaccine that looked good in initial safety actually made people worse. There was the history of the respiratory. Uh, this is rather stunning. I didn't know that this was a possibility. I'm guessing a lot of you guys didn't know that this was a possibility, although Dr. Fauci shared it here with uh, Mark Zuckerberg and the, the folks at Facebook. I don't know that we've heard a whole lot about this. So let's continue with this interview. I'm hoping that you guys are learning some new things here. I certainly am. Tori's syncytial virus vaccine in children, which paradoxically made the children worse. One of the HIV vaccines that we tested several years ago actually made individuals more likely to get infected. So you can't just go out there and give it unless you feel that in the field, when someone is getting infected and exposed, being vaccinated doesn't make them worse. That's why you got to do a trial. He says says that... uh... It says, Fauci says explicitly that you can't do this under a normal tri- trial situations because it's too small and you know, the, 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 the group that you're selecting would be, would be, wouldn't be representative of the population. The only way you can do this is roll it out to the population and observe what happens. The only way you're going to find out whether this, uh, any given vaccine actually makes this, this, the, the condition worse uh, is to roll it out to large numbers of people and then wait and see what happens. Um, Even that, though, <clears throat> is temporary narrative because now it's like, no, 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 we must reach 90%, 100%, everyone vaccinated. Yeah, but that's, a, well, that's, to do, well, that's to do the proper proper trial, right, amongst the population. Uh, you have to give it to everybody, right? Um, Multiple well, times over several years. Well, they would probably say at this point there's no evidence that, uh, that it is a problem, you know, although, as we've spoken about in previous shows, there's plenty of people who are coming down with uh, adverse reactions. Quite a lot of people have actually, you know, couldn't reasonably be said to have, have died as a result of the vaccination. And then there's a lot of people... Again, as we've mentioned previously, um, uh, sports people in particular uh, coming down with what appears to be myocarditis, you know, uh, chest pains, difficulty breathing on the, on the, on the football pitch. Yeah. Um, you have another one from this week. Yeah. Um, yeah, it's the, t- it's the, it's the first uh, link I seem to announce. Yeah, this is just last night, actually, on Manchester United in the UK. <coughs> Not him. This guy. So he's his he doesn't actually collapse or anything. He's able to kind of walk off, but he's obviously can't continue. There are so many, and there's so many that there have was, actually collapsed. There was a game last <coughs> week in England where it was two players. Yeah, or, or two, a player two, two, and a fan, I think. Yeah, or in, yeah, in the, in the in ground because you're not allowed. Suppose you you can't get into the ground unless you're vaccinated. Right. 
But um, yeah, you can stop that there. He's he just kind of walks off. But um, again, Thank you know, you. again, we, we were at, we were talking before about how this seems to be. You see all this evidence of this among sports among young guys in their twenties, very fit, coming down with obviously obviously with chest chest pains. But it's predominantly the UK. We don't see many reports from other. Uh, European countries in particular where there's a lot of football or South American countries. There's been a few reports from South America. But again, maybe like I was thinking that it's an English language bias or whatever. But a few I, in the US, fo- uh, football players, uh, football, American, American football, players. football players. But it's very predominantly in the UK. And I'm, I just don't know if that one possibility is that may be related to uh, some kind of mandates. A uh, larger number of, a greater number of clubs, football clubs in the UK mandating vaccines, vaccines for their players as a compared to other European countries, for example, because obviously France, Germany, Spain have really big uh, uh, national football leagues, professional football leagues, and there's a lot of players there. But again, you know, we probably would come across them. I mean, Twitter isn't English language only, you know what I mean? I, 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 uh, I'm subscribed or follow a lot of different people in different languages, you know what I mean? So I think I would have come across it if, I, if, if it was happening in any significant number there as well. So I, there's a confounding... Uh, kind of vaccine s- uptake factor, vaccine uptake, or like AstraZeneca, I said, maybe it says something <clears throat> about the UK's vaccine. Maybe yeah, the type of vaccine. Who knows? But I think it's um, a lot of people still. Pfizer, Pfizer seems to have that horse won this won this vaccine race, like uh, in a very clear clear way, and not without uh, some skullduggery in the background. It, it seems as well. There are plenty of reports about Pfizer uh, trying to trash other vaccines. Um, you know on the lowdown type thing, spreading dirt about uh, AstraZeneca and stuff. Of course, there's that kind of competition between vaccine makers, you know. Um, but, yeah, the thing about the the thing about the vaccine is the problem with the vaccine in a very simple and generalized way. And there's people who say this and there's people who, you know, don't look at it so much, but it's definitely, you know, pretty pretty well based in, in, in scientific understanding of, of, of viruses and vaccines and uh, human uh, immune system is that uh, in response to any virus and coronavirus for example uh, natural immunity your not your your immune system is multifaceted and will uh, respond in it uh, in its attack on the, on the virus and uh, neutralizing the virus it will respond in a broad scale way against all parts of the virus so it recognizes all different components of the virus and mounts a, a much a more robust um immune response that is more lo- is longer lasting as well so if anything ever comes along a variant comes along whatever uh, it can still recognize it whereas the vaccination especially especially the mrna vaccines are very uh, narrowly targeted on one particular part, one particular protein of the of of this SARS-CoV-2 virus, and meaning that they basically don't mount as robust and as wide spectrum uh, an immune response to it, and kind of hyper focus your immune system by generating all these spike proteins uh, and making your immune system focus on those, reduce its, uh, its efficacy down the line with any kind of mutations, whatever, and. Um, which why is, is why you keep having with new mutations, or, or as, as things progress, you keep having even amongst <clears throat> a lot amongst vaccinated, vaccinated people, you have a continuing spike or spikes, periodic spikes in cases among vaccinated people, because the immune response that's being generated by the vaccine in the first place isn't broad, uh, broad enough and and long lasting enough as well. It's quite short lived. Whereas natural, your natural immune response, which you know prioritizes or not prioritizes but includes 
a more robust kind of uh, memory cell uh, response as well, where it will actually maintain a long-term memory of that virus so that down the line, even if if, uh, if, if other variants come along and stuff, it'll be able to handle them yeah. without any problems. Whereas the vaccines don't do that. The vaccines yeah. are very narrowly focused on one particular variant or one particular strain of this of this virus, you know. Um, and the 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 interesting thing about Omicron actually is that the one thing that made it stand out that they spun as some kind of a dangerous thing or something to be concerned about was the significantly larger number of mutations on the virus. Some on the most of them on the spike protein, some on other parts of the virus. Now they spun that as oh that's dangerous. It's got more mutations, but basic tenet of of, uh, of of viruses and mutation uh, in general is that mutations uh, reduce eff- efficacy. That mutations are always random mutations and the analogy is <clears throat> a random mutation would be like if you have a coherent piece of text, a paragraph of text that makes sense and you randomly go and change some letters in some words. Randomly, without yeah. any thought. Just change that to that, 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 without thinking about it and expect that the, the text would read better, would be more coherent. Yeah. Uh, so that's basically what happens with mutations. It's random, and they generally have a deleterious effect on the virus, meaning it's not as efficient at doing what it was originally designed to do. It's, it's, it's got reduced function, basically. Right. So the more mutations, the less functionality, the more it becomes a, a rather benign virus. Now, that's what happened to Omicron. That's why they said, oh, it's got all these mutations, but it's a massive subversion it's of crazy. basic science, which is that... More mutations mean it's more dangerous. When have for you, for a hundred years of virology, more mutations means less dangerous. Have you ever come across the specific someone actually coming out and saying it with a specific claim that when, for example, this variant thing first started, I think it was before Delta. I think the first time I heard, oh, a new variant was the original South Africa one a year ago mm. or more, maybe. And every time since there's been a new variant, there's been, you know, massive hysteria. Has anyone ever suggested that, well, the thing is, in this particular coronavirus case, the mutations are objectively going the opposite. Normally they have a deleterious trend and they just become more and more inert. Mm-mm. Is anyone suggesting that in this case it's... No. No, although they imply so they're that. defying they, the entire, like you said, they imply hundred years. Well, it comes of down to us via the media, you know, and you look into papers, and there's no one talking about this. It's just assumed, like as in, like we were saying last week, everybody knows via the media that this is more dangerous. But it it flies in the face of basic science about viruses and mutations on viruses that they're they're invariably uh, reduce they invariably reduce function of the virus and it's been that's been known forever and no one has ever questioned it because it happens all the time yeah. it's like as hardcore of a fact as you can get type of thing so the only way you can make a virus um, more potent or more dangerous uh, through mutations if it's rather than a random mutation it's an intelligent mutation uh-huh. i.e. someone in a lab i.e. a consciousness in the head of a person in the lab saying if I do this I can uh, increase the the efficacy of this virus, but naturally, in response to your immune system, the randomness where a, where a virus isn't directed, it's only responding to the attack on it from an immune system. Uh, it will always just randomly um, mutate in a way that it makes it less less effective. And that's why the first report about Omicron out of, out of South Africa said that was very mild. It fit perfectly 
yeah, but what you'd expect with, with the next fr variant. From a mul and from one that has more mutations on it than previous uh, variants. Um, but, you know, we live in kind of clown world in a way where... where up uh, is down and yeah, black, black is white. Yeah, and I mean, we've, you know, we've taken that as a... That's been our objective, our, our view of the world for quite a long time. We've looked at things and assumed, especially from authoritative sources, that they're spinning it in some way just because of our understanding of how the world works and how you human beings work and, and all, the, all, all the different sorts of uh, biases that human beings inherently have, we assume automatically that there's something missing from this official story, you know, and then we ass assign some kind of maybe a, a certain level of obviously just self-interest among people in positions of power and maybe even some malevolence now and again thrown in there. So we have this attitude that um, we've always had this attitude that there's the truth isn't isn't being told, that there's the truth is a closer approximation of the truth can be uncovered by looking into this more deeply, you know. But um, that's apparently that's not uh, <laughs> that's not what most people do, you know. Yeah. Uh, and I think, and Matt, again, it, it fits. As, but it's just gone. That's always been the case for us. But it's gone to an extreme point at this uh, at this stage in in in, in uh, human history. It's gone to a it's point so where it's just extreme. crazy. But this is like, why I suggest they should just spin it a little bit. Now it's like con spun completely around yeah. to the opposite of what it actually is. You know. Yeah. Again, though, I don't think it's enough on, alone. I think there has to be some kind of fertile ground. I think there's a kind of an agreement. People like lies? Mm. Comfortable ones? That's harsh on them because it, there's a moral judgment on them. What if, what if there's something else they're terrified about, like mm. I suggested earlier, but they'll happily take the narrative that this is what terrifies them then they don't have to confront what actually terrifies them. I'm thinking specifically here in this broadest context of earth changes slash extreme weather yeah. phenomena. There you'd have to put it in a very vague background, mostly unconscious uh, sphere. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's not front and center in people's minds. I mean, it gets filtered down and offered to them in a certain package, like, for example, global warming and that kind of yeah. stuff. People, it's almost like the media and governments and authorities who put out these messages are tapping into some kind of a fear. It's, it's hard to know. It's a chicken and egg thing, which was on first. Was yeah. that put into people or do people have just through their general observation or their intuition about, you know, from their their ab absorbing of... However passive uh, it is. Yeah, however yeah. passive of, of how, the, how the world is and what's going on in the world, they, they, a, a certain state of... Uh, anxiety or discomfort or sense of insecurity grows in people from just looking at what's happening in the world and that that's uh, an objective intuiting of the way the world is going naturally, let's say, quote-unquote, uh, or is it that all of these fears are put into people by the media? Or is it both, that the media backs up what's, what well, people the, are already feeling? The media, feeling, you know? in the end, is drawn from ordinary people. It's individual personalities who right. are staffed at the So media they're companies. the ones who are crafting it as so well. So it's all yeah. bound together for yeah. sure. Yeah. But it doesn't detract from the point that there's but an overwhelming concentration of messaging in one direction. Right. True. Yeah. Well, we certainly saw that uh, this week. There's people got more more reason to be scared of, uh, of the environment. Um, I, yeah, which isn't to suggest that this one event augurs doom or, no, but or, or speaks to a trend. It's not clear to us that no, it No, but some people would ha are interpreting that. What way, of you do know is that when this happens to you or similar, yeah. every atheist around you is going to be on his knees praying Yeah, because sure. the one thing that actually terrifies people is, Mother is Nature. what Mother Nature can do to yeah, them yeah. in an instant. Yeah.
We're speaking obviously yeah. about the tornado outbreak in the in, US. In Mayfield, yeah. Um, if you want to throw one up there, Scotty. Um, it's uh, happened uh, over two days. Yeah. Yesterday and Friday. Uh, yeah. Do we have any videos? We have, huh? Sure we do. Send you a bunch of links. Twitter links. Oh no, are they all pictures? Okay, well, let's click, click on some of those, actually. Yeah, there's not many videos. There's some videos, but they just show this, this kind of scene. But that was a water tower with something like half, yeah, half a million gallon. It's crazy. Two million liters plus of water just, uh, and it was ripped out of the ground. The concrete footers pulled out of the ground. Uh, just go to the next picture. Um, yeah, same water tower. Probably it's all water towers there. <coughs> we go back one or that one. Yeah, that's a good one. Um, it's like a, it's just you know scraped clean, you know. Uh, Scarred, yeah. Uh, keep going. Skip through them there. Car, and then there was also um, yeah, that car smangled, you know. Obviously thrown in the air and tossed around like. Like like a toy, basically, you know. Uh, this is global warming, though, right? Isn't that what we're saying? No, no, no. This was a factory. This was the yeah, this was a candle factory, I think. Completely leveled. There used to be a giant factory there. It was completely leveled, and that's where a lot of the fatalities were. I think it's over a hundred uh, at this point. Uh, that and also an Amazon warehouse. The same was done to an Amazon. That warehouse. was in Illinois, completely, yeah. Completely leveled as well, yeah. Uh, but this is all in Kentucky, yeah. Um, crazy, you know. Um, and it was on officially on the record longest, right? The longest track. They still don't know yet. Show um, those ones, yeah. It's looking like it could be the longest track a single tornado has made. For example, in U.S. history, there's a famous one from a, a century ago called the Tri-State Tornado. Mm. That made it infamous because it stayed on the ground across three U.S. states. Right. This one is four states. Right. So that's novel, so to speak. However, there's a caveat on that. They're still not sure if this was one single tornado that did the whole line of damage right. or if it actually was one kind of straight line storm that dropped several multiple, tornadoes multiple in different places. Yeah. It happened at night, so they couldn't tell. Hard, yeah. They're going to try and um, figure that out. It was an incredible weather front. It was the meeting of this warm weather front coming up and obviously a cold one mm -hmm, coming across mm -hmm. the continent. That is climate change then. That, well, it's, Global warming. No, it's so, it's so normal. It. It's so common in the United States. It's kind of like classic nor'easter stuff, a bit more continental than nor nor'easter, but whatever. Yeah, but and it forms this meeting of these two massive fronts, forms this thin line that oh. scours across yeah. multiple states. The things that are novel about it are the time of year. This is out of season. Right. Not unheard of. I remember there was a Christmas cluster several years ago. Um, to date, the record for the deadliest, the highest number of tornadoes in one outbreak is 360 thereabouts. They never finally agreed mm -hmm. on the number. And the highest number of fatalities in the United States, which was just shy of that 348 people, mm -hmm. took place just 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. That's close in time, geologically speaking. People have forgotten it already, but there was a massive devastating outbreak of some 300-plus tornadoes in the U.S. Now, that was 10 years just, ago in late April, which is peak tornado right. season. <clears throat> this is unusual and that is out of season. Right, but 
just tells me the global warming's been going on for quite a while. I, I've read every kind of analysis. One is that tornadoes are actually happening less often due to global warming. One is that they're happening not more often, but more intensely. And that's due to global warming. Yeah. There's atmospheric changes. There's all kinds of things that, you know, electrical changes probably as well. Yeah, for sure. Um, but due There's to a particular warming. feature of <clears throat> the one that hit Mayfield, though, mm. in Kentucky. Um, something they could tell right away because they do real-time Doppler radar imaging, mm -hmm. which is stunning. Within hours of it, I've seen um, Doppler representations showing, you know, a kind of a 3D rendering radar image. I can find it here. It's somewhere in this... Um, in this morass of, of tweets. Morass of, uh, of data. But uh, it's, it's one article with a bunch of... Maybe it has some video as well. Anyway, it showed that something... They watched this stunned. They said, this never happened to anyone's knowledge. Yeah. The one over Mayfield, scroll down. I'll tell you when to stop. Um, there's some footage there. Keep going. It's, it's a tweet, I think. Um, oh, is it not going to show him? Okay, there we go. Okay, so he doesn't realize it, but somebody else commented on this. Um, that's a Doppler image. That's the debris field. Mayfield is... Right yeah, yeah. down there at ground level. The top was 30,000 feet. 35,000 feet. That's the height of which jetliners cruise. Yeah, yeah. That's not supposed to happen. The debris isn't supposed to be pulled up that high, yeah. to the upper troposphere. Well, that's not the, is that the upper troposphere? That's not the upper troposphere, is it? No. I think it was. No. The troposphere for sure, no? Yeah. Um, scroll down. There's Maybe some up. more data on that. Troposphere. Um... Yeah. yeah, I think Mayfield was worse hit, but there's so many times. Did that, big, did that big purple blob actually, ha was that part of the... Oh, excuse me, this is the correct one here. I'm not sure what the previous one showed. Yeah, it showed 30,000 feet, yeah. It showed the same, but it was showing something maybe a bit different. It was showing the, maybe the rain pattern. This is a Doppler of actual debris. Oh, of de debris, okay. So where did all that purple stuff come from? Was that from like a, a jello plant or something that it had? No, the purple stuff is stuff pulled up from the ground. Yeah. like That's Mayfield Town up like in the air. Jallowy, gel, like purple jello like purpley gelatinous stuff. That's weird. Uh, and then that all fell back down then. Yeah, yeah. sometimes miles away. And coated the, the ground with like purple jello. Uh, scroll down again. There's another one showing the tracks of all the tornadoes and the kind of scouring effect. Keep going. Keep going. <clears throat> oh, heavy. There's a rare photo. Oh, there's some footage of it, I think. It's the beast. The photo. But it was at night, though, so not many people filmed. Yeah. No, I don't think it's there. True anyway, it just shows the, the landscape. It's not a satellite image. It's a representation. But yeah. plotting the tracks over the geography of, like, five states, it's like someone took... A cat, giant cat, took its claws and just like scratched the crap out of this whole area. There are so many scouring marks. Yeah, well, there's there on that one. Witnessing history, first quad state tornado, and likely the longest track record track track tornado ever recorded, over 200 miles. Well, starting and some five. of the records go back to the 19th century. Yeah. The Keep only scrolling. caveat, like I mentioned, to this is they're not entirely sure if it was one. Keep scrolling. One monster that did that. That's the track there, is it? You're talking about? Yeah. No. Anyway.
That's radar image. Um, they're saying they're saying over a hundred kill at this point. It's probably more than that. No, who knows? Um, but that's separately from that. The number of storms within this whole chain of events will probably su- surpass the record, which is in nineteen seventy four. These are called super outbreaks, by the way. Mm-hmm. Uh, and already mentioned that the longest track dates to 1925. Mm-hmm. Somebody found something else, which is um, another piece of data that th- this goes beyond the official conventional explanation for how tornadoes work. Because the previous record holder for the longest track tornado is follows the same path, just one hour south. Mm. And it's 97 years old. When that happened, hmm. I mean that's Far so close path, in yeah. space over the vast continent of the United States of America. This is from a local uh, weather reporter, Noah Bergen. Nearly ninety-seven years ago, the longest tornado in American history happened in the same area. Last night, just an hour's drive southward, we may have broken that record. Thus, the two longest tornadoes in U.S. history have now occurred under two hours' distance of each other. Well, over a vast continent. Something about something. There's something, something some X factor there. going on there, yeah. like something, something for the science to look into. Uh, yeah, well, I suppose you can see. Uh, well, there are lots of, uh, at least in this this side of the Atlantic, uh, in the Pyrenees in France, just over the past week or so, um, uh, records broken for snowfall. Uh, That's an all time, like yeah, not yeah, just like, for the month in no, question. No record. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Um, in early December. Yeah. Record snowfall in in such a short period of time, yeah, which yeah. is the only really meaningful, I suppose, the most meaningful uh, measurement. You know, you can you can do a, a record for overall accumulated snow over the entire season, but it's like it's how much is falling in such a short period of time. That's the real danger, right? Doesn't matter yeah. if it falls gradually over three months. It's if, it, oh, <laughs> if half of it comes in two days, you know, you got a trouble. You, yeah. you, you got trouble, you know. I uh, I, I am sure. <clears throat> the science will prove me right someday. It will. Specifically that the in- environment, what it's doing, plays so much more of a role in how how we are. Never mind what's said, what we say, what the government says to us. That's all kind of at one level of things. Mm. Like we know when stuff's about to happen, mm. animals will mm-hmm. move en masse, mm. will act in strange ways. Like, crikey, they know when a super cold winter is coming, there's some species of birds that build their necks extra large. And it's not just birds. There are ground animals that normally burrow or something or make some kind of nest at ground level. Well, the, the, uh, it was lore. It was, it was native folklore that the native Indians, among the signs they would read to know when a super cold winter was coming that year, and they'd be telling the white colonial settlers was observe the size of the nest the animals are building mm. a month or two before Groundhog Day. It's Groundhog Day. It's, it's auguring yeah. the signs. Yeah, yeah. But it's much. It, it there's something. It, okay, in the ancient times, maybe they went too, way too far with. But where did they get that from? Why yeah. did they start doing that? Because they took it to extremes yeah. once the environment calmed down and it divorced from reality, mm-hmm. like the ideology of the day. Let's augur what's going to happen by opening this gut and this, this goat and reading his entrails. You know, that's obviously silly. 
but it was based on uh, 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 a, a track correct, record. A correct idea at the beginning that did have some basis. Observing and, nature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But there's some, there's some correlation between the way nature responds. Nature has a certain sixth sense, I suppose you could, you could say, or a sense that, you know, human beings don't well, have. Human, really. human beings do as a group, as an organ, as yeah. a super, as a connected super organism. Yeah. Yeah. But we're so distracted. I'm an individual. You're an, and here we are fighting over the ideology. But if you actually step out and observe our mass behaviors, yeah. we're terrified of something. Yeah. <clears throat> and maybe that goes up and down mm -hmm. over time. But right now, we're really terrified. It's not the war on terror per se. Mm -hmm. It's not the COVID per se. But we are objectively scared shitless and acting in fucking stupid ways mm -hmm. all over the place. Mm -hmm. And it's not from a fear of the Russian... No. Uh, the Ru Russia that's a story <laughs> that's offered to us. Some like taking, oh, thank you. That makes sense. I'll go with that, you mm -hmm. know. Mm -hmm. But uh, they don't really believe it. So what's going on in Ukraine then? Well, after my, my my thing like two weeks ago, it flashes in the pans of, you know, geopolitics resurfacing. Mm -hmm. Two weeks ago, I was like, well, I don't know, Poland and Belarus really could flare up. And now it's just gone quiet and po Belarus shipped 3,000 of them back to Iraq mm -hmm. and uh, elsewhere. Well, the US government's so, making hay with it, though. They're making hay with it. But I think I'll revert back to our older new normal stance. Geopolitics is dead. Mm. It's moot. Mm. It's been rendered moot by this. I hope you don't have to eat those words. You think there could still be a flare-up of, like, international war? No, but there might be something, who knows? Local. I don't know, I'm leaving it open. Well, that's, we're talking about something local here in terms of the Ukraine, uh, the border with Ukraine, Russia. Supposedly, according to the Western media, which you can't take, have to take with a grain of salt, amassing troops on the, on the yeah. Ukraine border. Now, the Russians haven't dismissed that. They said they're just, well, why are we being criticized for moving troops within our own country? Uh, so they haven't right. said that that's they're a, not. That's a cool response, but... Yeah, but they're... You know, there are some troop movements on the border with Donbass, which Russia obviously, I don't know, people obviously know, should know the history of this, you know. Uh, um, after the coup in 2014, the U.S. basically coup uh, in uh, in Ukraine, uh, overthrew, uh, what was his name, Yanukovych, and installed Poroshenko, and basically made Ukraine a, a vassal state or a little, you know, a little piece of America in uh, in Eastern Europe. And it has been that way since after not long afterwards they installed yeah, Biden, a, com a comedian Biden personally got rich from it yeah oh, yeah that's a whole other story uh but they a lot of people got rich from it from looting the place but ukraine is in a very sad state right now um, they've got a comedian literally a comedian for the president who in interestingly he was in a series became famous in ukraine for being in a series in which he plays the president in which he accidentally uh became president right uh, and then he kind of, as a result of that, people thought, well, he's in this show where he accidentally becomes president. It's a comedy show. Now he's running for president. I'm, I'm going to vote for him and make it him president. The mind. In uh, a country now effectively run by the CIA. Yeah. And you wonder if, I mean, this is my mind going, you know, full, yeah. full speculation here, but like CIA, media, culture, they actually make real a scenario yeah. that's I mean on TV, yeah. But anyway, um, Yuki's are obviously they've installed. I mean, the, the Ukrainian government's antagonism for quite a long time, certainly since the coup, extreme antagonism towards Russia is simply reflective of the antagonism that exists within the CIA and within the, the Washington establishment against Russia. They're simply voicing the same thing because they're basically beholden to America. The, the, Ukraine is basically a little extra state of America and Eastern Europe, like I said. Um, so they're, and Russia's, the scenario that I see here is that Russia's trying, they're trying to bait Russia mm -hmm. 
because Russia wants buffer zones around all of its where necessary, uh, particularly in on its eastern flank. Basically, they want buffer zones along its border. They don't want states that are fully anti-Russia, like fully Western aligned, uh, right up against their border. Which yeah. is so Ukraine, Ukraine, Belarus serves serves that purpose. Ukraine serves that purpose. Has served that purpose. But the threat now is that Ukraine would become totally. You know, would be, it is a, a full-fledged state, NATO uh, member. Yeah, full-fledged NATO member officially, and that's the big problem for the Russians right now. Is because then once it's a NATO member, then you can install a, a Western American whatever missiles right up on Russia's border. That's a red line for Russia. Not going to happen. But of course, in a way, they've created a little uh, after the coup. They foresaw this happening. They saw the the coup. Everybody saw the coup happening in 2014. Anybody with any sense that is, uh, Ukraine was taken over by America. Uh, and in response to that, immediately, Russia facilitated a little extra buffer zone right in 2014 mm-hmm. by in Don- Donbass and Luhansk, two kind of states on the east up against the Russian border uh, within Ukraine. They basically encouraged, of course, there are different reasons why that happened there, but certainly it was with uh, Russian help that those people declared breakaway republics and have been talking ever since about aligning and, and integrating with Russia. Yeah. But Russia just simply... Uh, in, in response to the coup and the takeover of, of Ukraine, which was previously a buffer zone for Russia, they simply immediately created another little buffer zone. Of course, it's not as effective as all of Ukraine because it's just in the eastern part, up against the, a part of the eastern border of Russia, but it's better than nothing. And in recent weeks, goaded on by, or basically more or less fully facilitated by the US, um, the Ukrainian army, the Kiev army, have been increasing uh, bombardments and attacks on these two yeah. uh, alleged or supposed breakaway republics. And Russia is obviously helping uh, the, the resistance of the people, the, the, the military within those breakaway republics to, yeah. to, to push back against that. And But it's getting pretty bad uh, where Putin recently said that um, it's kind of like genocide that was happening there right that, now. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so there's all this talk in the media that Russia is going to basically invade rather than just sending in helpers and sending in weapons. They're going to fully invade those two areas but it might not just be those two areas it might be all of ukraine i don't think it would be all of ukraine but the problem for russia is that that is a that is bait basically being offered to them because if russia does that then their massive international condemnation all sorts of sanctions are reimposed and stuff and uh the u.s is justified in effectively making ukraine part of nato by pumping in a load of uh, a load of weapons even more than they have been so it's a very difficult situation for Russia to navigate. They are being baited. It's kind of like someone tormenting you, you know, and trying to goad you and really causing you, you know, problems and, and, and suffering for you or your people in order to try to get you to respond. And then they've got you. Yeah. Uh, or so they think. So it's very difficult for, for Russia to navigate that. Um, and But the media, the Western media is obviously talking it up almost, almost as a deterrence because the, all of the media uh, that talks about this topic are saying that Russia is planning to invade and that if it does, there will be serious, horrible, terrible consequences for Russia uh, and as a response from the quote-unquote international community. So they're almost like they're trying to dissuade Russia from doing it um, or threaten them or... I don't know. It's difficult to know what's actually going on and whether anything will actually come of it or like you said with the Belarus-Poland uh, situation a couple of weeks it'll calm down, you know. Yeah, the Donbass war has peaks and troughs and peaks and troughs. We're in a peak now of tension. Mm-hmm. Um, since the last time we spoke seriously about it in depth, um, the, at that time there were some 20,000 deaths. According to the OSC 
monitors, you know, independent observers, they now say, that was maybe several years ago, that 31,000 people are dead, civilians only, mm -hmm. just in those two breakaway provinces. Yeah. Um, they also say that two and a half million residents in the region are uh, refugees. Mm. About a million of them are in Russia. Mm -hmm. They got in or were allowed in or whatever. But there's another 1.5 million who are internally displaced in this, these two breakaway republics, which are, I mean, they're sanctioned internationally, but of course Kiev, Kiev's terrorizing them. It's only going to help them as long as, you know, they submit and come back into the fold. We have to remember that in 2014, they held two pretty well-organized, not internationally recognized, but well-organized referenda. They voted, voted yeah. to secede from Ukraine. Right. Not to rejoin Russia, but just to secede initially. Mm -hmm. Crimea did both yeah. secession and accession to Russia. Russia, Moscow didn't recognize, unlike in Crimea, it didn't recognize the legitimacy. It didn't obviously, Russia's always taken a position, especially when it comes to Kosovo, um, mm. that if you recognize it once, you'll recognize it everywhere. everywhere so yeah. they, it's only fair, yeah. Um, they still don't to this day recognize the independence. No. Of the two republics. I think if a possible scenario, I think a lot of it's rhetoric and a lot of blustering from the Western media and Western governments that basically if Russia wanted to, it could it could move into, at least into Donbass. Oh, yeah. And I was take, encouraging them to do that in 2014. Take, Go on, do they, it. They take it over in, because, no, take because, it over in no time, basically. And, yeah. and, the, and the most important thing is that the threats wouldn't materialize. The threat, the military threat from... Kiev and Ukraine slash uh, the US wouldn't materialize, that they would back down. No, they would, I think that they, would, that they yeah. would blink, basically. Yeah. And it wouldn't turn into some kind of a full-scale war and Russia could simply go in there and protect those people in, in, no. in, Don in Donbass and Luhansk, probably. Um, but, they but, but what would they happen... They would be grilled internationally. They would be. The and there massive sanctions, and that might put an end to Nord Stream. That would be the first thing that would happen, would be Nord Stream, right. would be next, there'd be massive pressure to next Nord Stream. Kiev would be very happy about that because that's what they've been wanting all along is that Nord Stream gets nixed because Nord Stream is bypassing Ukraine and Ukraine is going to, Kiev is going to lose a lot of money because they probably, predict probably correctly that eventually they're, they're gonna, Russia will stop transiting through uh, Kiev and, and, or they can use it to manipulate or put pressure on the Kiev government. They don't like that idea of Russia being able to yeah. manipulate them through gas transit. So they want, they want Nord Stream nixed, which means that the, that the kind of, Dominance in that argument goes back to Kiev because Russia, Russia needs anyway. Kiev. Well, Russia needs Kiev for that for the transit of that pipeline. You know, you can switch the dynamic around very quickly. Yeah. Where it's like if you have Nord Stream working, the the pipeline through Kiev uh, through through Ukraine doesn't really matter so much. So now you have the leverage where you can say, well, if you want us to, we can put some pipe uh, some gas through that pipeline. We don't have to though because we've got Nord Stream. If you don't have Nord Stream, right. Kiev is the one who can say who knows that you need us, you yeah. need our, uh, our, our country to transport your gas, you better keep paying Interesting. us. So that explains the commonality between the Trump administration and Biden's administration's policy on Nord Stream. Yeah. Trump, Trump sold it as simply nix it because American gas is better yeah. well, uh, and you, you don't want to be beholden to, to Russia, period. You never mentioned Ukraine, though. The Biden administration clearly, by antagonizing in real time while talking about Nord Stream, while antagonizing Russia with Donbass, is linking the two issues. Yeah, for Interesting. sure. Yeah. yeah. I think the meeting between Putin and Biden, not that Biden was up to much, obviously, he was just reading from a script. Uh, the, the, the meeting between them just a few days ago there was to 
for Bi- for Putin to figure out just how. I mean, he knows when he's talking to Biden that he's not talking. He's just hearing what what's being said, and there's probably other discussions with other people who have more say and more control. But he's probably get, trying to get a feel of of whether or not the U.S. was serious about actually militarily helping out Kiev against if if Russia were to intervene directly in in Donbass. And he may have got the impression that these people have blinked. There's no. They don't have the balls to do it, but that they will uh, impose all these kind of sanctions, and then Russia has to decide whether or not they're willing to well, just, just swallow, swallow those sanctions. You know, but the sanctions—if the sanctions happen on Nord Stream, you know who suffers. And if it happens soon, relatively soon, over the winter time, you know who suffers: Europe, you, yeah. me, everybody else in Europe. Well, not and the else, people in Donbass, because well, although you said that Biden well, is not gas. serious, yeah, gas supplies. They cut off Nord Stream and. Uh, I mean, it's already it's not running. But if they nix it for good, then gas prices soar, people freeze, uh, you know, can't make their payments. There's a, there's a massive crisis, and that would lead directly into the economic uh, food bar that we uh, anticipate coming up relatively quickly. It's just one aspect of it, which is energy prices. It would make gas in particular, and therefore, as a result, gasoline or petrol uh, also skyrocket. So it, it, you can see how it's all linked there. You know okay, what I mean? Yeah. You, you, <clears throat> These people in their determination to get one over Russia or to get revenge, I think it's more it's motivated by revenge. Russia handed their ass to them on a plate in, in 2014. Syria. Oh, and, and Syria was a good one, but I thought 2014 was like the, <laughs> the most beautiful, peaceful, backed by military power, yeah. but in fact, least bloody counter move. Yeah, yeah. That gave the bloody nose, morally speaking, uh, in terms of the narrative of the West being the best, mm-hmm. it gave them this bloody nose, metaphorically speaking, without actually firing a freaking bullet. Yeah. That was so impressive. The whole world, I think, was just like, but, well, that yeah. was impressive. Except Most of the world. Yeah. Most of the normal world. Um, but the, the, well, the interesting thing about that was that uh, Russia had a game plan for that long-standing game plan for that. The speed with which they went into, into Crimea and took Crimea, which was obviously the prize, the whole point of the coup in Ukraine was in order to deny Russia Crimea and its uh, Black Sea fleet and Sevastopol yeah. and access to, to, to the Black Sea and therefore the Mediterranean from its southern border. That was the whole point. The only reason, the primary reason was to, to, to deny Russia Crimea. Uh, and they knew that was going to happen. It was always a possibility. So as soon as they see the coup happening, boom, they put in the uh, put in the into motion their long-standing plan and they take Crimea and, and like you just said within a couple of, day, a couple of days uh, Crimea has had a referendum and voted to join Russia boom over there you go and there's enjoy, nice enjoy your coup guys yeah you know uh, Crimea is part of Russia now yeah uh, it was, and it was the, awesome the yeah. little the nice green men yeah that was a euphemism used by the yeah, Kremlin little green men yeah. to describe their troops unmarked yeah in Crimea and how do they get there no one does yeah. wow it was long, well planned yeah. in advance, you know. But anyway, um, yeah. Can I just correct you on something? You said that in that scenario, the US is, is, is bluff and bluster. They would not be serious about a massive military deployment to assist Ukraine in the event that Russia actually. Mm-hmm. True. But unfortunately, the card they hold in their own bluff to Moscow in this attempt to bait them in there is that just this week, again, further approval for the shipment of British and US manpad type rocket launchers yeah. arrived for the Kiev armies. So, you know, they, they, they can they're, take they're, a distance and keep fueling a conflict to stoke it and stoke it. They're not serious about an actual military invasion 
to save Ukraine no, from but Russia. No, but if you're not willing to back it up, it doesn't matter. They can put in as many man pads as they want, and they can try and, and that's their, always their policy is to make make it too painful. That's what they did in Syria. That's what they did in Iraq. They did it in Afghanistan. Uh, they, they 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 supply weaponry to the opposition or to whatever side they want to to, to support against their enemies, and they try and make it as painful. Like you can even go back to like the whole. Um, to the Soviet invasion of Afghanistan in the, in the late seventies, you know what I mean, where they were shipping in uh, anti-aircraft, uh, you know, man-pad missiles, basically uh, SAM seven missiles, whatever, uh, and that's what was put down as that, that caused the US to, to leave Afghanistan and and after invasion. And they might, if they're if they're if they're working from that playbook, I mean, sure, you can cause some suffering and, and exacerbate the whole thing. But if Russia moves into Ukraine, basically, i.e., Donbas, but if it moves right up in there. And the U.S. isn't willing to go full-scale response, then Kiev is going to very quickly be made to crap its pants. Like, I mean, Russia will very quickly say, if you continue uh, this aggression while we're in here, because now you're you're attacking Russian troops, will you know basically turn Kiev into a glass parking lot? You know, what I mean? uh, not a glass parking lot, but, but you know, what I mean, they can leverage those kind of threats. Yeah. Uh, because if it's Kiev on its own, if Kiev looks around and sees that Big Brother Uncle Sam isn't isn't standing behind it, they're gonna uh, blink very quickly in the face of. And if Russia's been demonized so much, that's a problem with demonizing Russia over and over again and turning it into a global pariah. At, at a certain point, that's no longer useful. That that's no longer leverage. You know, if Russia says if Russia thinks, well, you've you've called us all these names. You say I'm a dictator, and you say that with this evil influence on the world, and we there's nothing, there's no. No depth to which we won't stoop and all that kind of stuff. Well, then we'll go ahead and do it because we have nothing to lose, right? Uh, but maybe not as extreme as that. But what I'm saying is, if they move into Donbass and secure Donbass, and the Yukis keep attacking them, regardless of who gives them weapons, if they don't have uh, big guns to back them up, they'll back down very quickly. Yeah. The G7 met um, this week. The uh, <clears throat> one headline here from The Guardian, G7 leaders warn Russia all sanctions on table over mm -hmm. Ukraine border buildup. Mm -hmm. Kremlin would face massive consequences in event of invasion. Blah, blah, blah. Um, it's just not likely, is it? No, it's bluff and bluster, I think, you know. Uh, but and and what they've always what they've done over the past what since uh, yeah since 2014 but a bit beforehand uh, they've just used the th they figured that the the strongest stick they can use to beat Russia is international condemnation yeah but like I said that only goes so far once you've condemned condemned them for everything what what effect do you think condemning them again is going to have you know what I mean uh, so that that statement you know uh, what was it again. Warn. Kremlin would face massive consequences. Right, massive consequences. Well, you know what? We've already faced... There'd be, there'd be already, PR consequences. We've already faced your PR consequences and whatever else you tried to do, sanctions, etc., over and over again, and it hasn't really had much effect, so we're just going to disregard that. And the fact they're putting that out there in the media and it's being channeled down from, from governments tells Russia that these people are not serious about the threats that they're making. If, the, if you're resorting immediately to, uh, you know that kind of rhetoric where we'll call you very bad names, well, then you're giving me a green light to go and do whatever I want to do because uh, I know you won't uh, respond yeah. Uh, militarily. Yeah, I think if anything were to happen in Ukraine, it would be connected with other events. Mm. There would be one, because you can't make a mistake. It has to be one move no. that deals with several 
sources of threat right. all at once. And ru- the Russians are good at that. Yeah, at at, at seeing you know, and waiting the various different ways that they will be responded to and and factoring those into their actions. You know, they've proven themselves uh, time and again to be fairly to know the the nature of the of the beast in a certain sense, you know, uh, know the nature of the West and how it operates. They're very well versed in it. They've so the Chinese. Experience. The Chinese as well. The G7 took place in Liverpool this week. Um, meanwhile, uh, Joe Cornpop Biden yeah, was the host of the Summit for Democracy in yeah. D.C., a virtual chat with like 100 leaders or something. <laughs> that didn't include Russia or China, right? No. So the Chinese... <clears throat> Government put out a statement about it. Um, the Chinese foreign ministry has accused the U.S. of using the idea of democracy as a weapon of mass destruction to impose its will on the world after Beijing was left uninvited from Washington's quote-unquote summit for democracy. And, of course, they're all uh, boycotting the diplomatic boycott of the Olympics in February, right, the Winter Olympics in, uh, in That's China what they did in 2014 in Sochi. Same again. Yeah, it's getting tired, boring, useless. Um, yeah, I'm sure they don't. You really see what care. I mean? Geopolitics ends up it, it flares up now and then, but like the, the kind of thing you're willing to happen. But it's not going to happen. fix the problems. No. Just doesn't happen. We're in the fourth uh, fourth generation of warfare, right? Which is basically yeah. propaganda at this point, you know, and small, low, low scale. Low scale intensity proxy low warfare, scale, low intensity warfare. Basically. If Russia does, I mean, remember, I was going to suggest if they were going to do something, they would do proxy warfare. But they've already been they accused did. of their factual proxy warfare in some form or another. Has already been described as a massive Russian invasion. Yeah. They've done. We've been here before. Yeah, yeah. But this would be overt. You know what I mean? In this, right. at this point, Russia has no no reason to hide behind little green men or whatever. They can just go in full scale to whatever extent they think is necessary to go in and secure Donbass and, uh, and, and do it officially, you know, fly the, fly the Russian flag, you know. Uh, there's no reason not to. Yeah. Yeah. So that's what's going on. Um, sum it all up there. Sum it all up. Yeah. Global warming. <laughs> Global warming, depopulation, mark of the beast, uh, nuclear war. No, that's actually the opposite of what uh, what we think. Um, yeah. Clown world. Clown world is a good summation of it. It's a joke. And yeah, like we were saying earlier on, it get, we've got to the point where stuff, a lot of things that you read in the media, a lot of official missives about what is real and what is not are a lot of them are actually 180 degrees from from what they said. Is it's yeah. the truth is one uh, 180. Uh, it's exactly the opposite. It's crazy to think about. But I mean, and we're not, you know, we're not. It's not an exaggeration, you know what I mean? Because you, there's you can look at it and you can come to that conclusion fairly quickly that really it really is the opposite in many cases the opposite of what they say it is. Um, yeah. And people are feeling it. People are seeing, uh, and and it's causing that kind of a problem. That kind of a that increase in, you know, depression and people just feeling out of sorts and insecure and unhappy, it's because, at least in part, it's because what they're being encouraged to believe is not reflected in what they actually see with their eyes. And that causes uh, a, lot of, a lot of stress, a lot of mental stress, you know. You're far better just to accept the reality. Go with what your eyes tell you rather than what the government tells you. 
Your eyes as a result of research. What your eyes see in the research and yeah. in the data, you know. Yeah. You have to do a bit of digging and you gotta get together and, and, and you know, find proper sources and rely on 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 people who are reliable or at least can reasonably assume to be reliable. Um but uh yeah, that's the way that's the way forward. And I think that's pretty much it for this week. What do you think? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think that's a good roundup. It's almost two hours. We've been going here and we've said more than enough, I think, uh, to keep, you abre- keep people abreast of the important things. Because the, there's so many, so much other crap out there that people are talking about, like the minutiae or details or, or their own particular interest stuff. And it's not really important. You know, it doesn't mean you can't do it, but it's not really important. And, and again, it's not really important to do a deep dive into this stuff yourself necessarily. You can if you want, but we kind of do a deep, deeper dive into a lot of stuff. And a lot of stuff that we talk about in our analysis of it is based on our long track record of actually uh, looking at all this stuff. And like you were saying at the beginning of the show, we put it in context, not just in long, longer historical t- context back to like 100 years or 200 years or something like that, but even in the past 20 years. A lot of stuff that's happening today you can put in the context of what has gone on over the past 20 years. And we've been watching stuff going on over the past 20 years and, and, and detailing it. Uh, so, and our... You know, at this point, it's just there's so much, there's such a cacophony of confusion and uh, you know, you know, bias and and beliefs and uh, out there amongst the population. There's no point in trying to find much truth on Twitter unless you know how to get it, but or on other social media, it's better to just present it as we have done in kind of more broad, more broad general terms. You know. yeah, we have to look into the details to a certain extent in some areas in order to bring out that broader picture. But that's really, what I'm saying is that's really all that's necessary for the average person. If they don't have the time or inclination to do that work themselves, you just need to hear a broad description of what's actually going on. And you can then, like you said, not fry your brain by looking too too closely at it, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, and not get too agitated to the point where you become active. Yeah for one cause yeah. you start to believe that this cause if we just fix this cause yeah everything else could be better you know yeah I hope people don't get the wrong impression we don't actually spend all week looking at the news yeah some weeks I look at the news an hour before coming in here I've been that busy doing other stuff that's <laughs> you t- but you don't need a lot of times you don't need to do no. because you've been doing it every you do it every week previously. If you to do that, it consistently it doesn't change that much in a week, no. right? You just pick up a few details that highlight uh the exceptions that prove the point in a certain sense, you know? Yeah. Um so yeah, so listen, we'll be back. Thanks for watching guys, thanks for commenting or whatever you're doing in the chat room. Um there were no pressing questions, Scotty, were they? Were they? No. Okay, just general commentary. Yeah, so thanks for watching, guys, listening, whatever you're doing. Thanks for commenting and like, subscribe, mash all the buttons because that's what people do. And we will be back next week with another roundup of what the hell has been going on in the previous week. Until then, have a good morning, evening, afternoon, night, whatever. Thanks for watching, peeps. Bye. Can't stop the signal now.